0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family.
1: You're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast, a fun and informative show for riders, owners, trainers, grooms, and fans of all levels. I'm Ashley Winch in Kansas City, Missouri.
0: And I'm Christy McCormick in Saratoga Springs, New York, and you're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast by Reline GI. Coming up on today's show, we're joined by my friend, Dr. Rihanna Stahl, to talk about what kind of expectations we should place on a time frame and performance after injuries in horses, and tips on how to rehab at home and make sure your horse is staying on track in recovery. Then we'll cover an exercise in seeing distances and wrap with a quick history of National Day of the Horse. Before we chat with Rihanna, let's hear a quick holiday word from our title sponsors, Reline GI. Ho,
1: ho, ho. Give your horse the holiday gift of gut health. Horse owners know that ulcers can be a real pain in the... Well, you know. The challenge is finding an over-the-counter supplement that's both effective and safe for your equine companion. This holiday season, give the gift of Reline GI by Haggard, a polysaccharide blend of high-weight hyaluronic acid, a natural lubricant found in the body, and immune-boosting beta-glucan. Backed by a study conducted by renowned vets at Haggard, Reline GI has been shown to be effective in treating gastric ulcers in horses. In the study, 90% of horses showed complete resolution or improvement in ulcerative areas including including increased appetite, weight gain, and positive behavioral changes. Don't let ulcers dampen your horse's holiday spirit. Visit www.resolvet.com to learn more about Reline GI and read the study conducted by Dr. Slovis. Don't forget to use our code SJP at checkout for 10% off your order. Happy Holidays from Haggard and Reline GI.
0: Joining us on today's show is Dr. Rihanna Stahl. Um, Rihanna is a great friend of mine and an excellent veterinarian as well. She has practiced uh, in Lexington, Kentucky during the summer and Wellington, Florida during the winter for approximately 12 years and specializes in soundness evaluations and diagnostics, as well as treatment and therapies for injuries. Her clients participate in hunter jumpers, dressage, and eventing. Thanks for coming on to join us today, Rihanna. How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Um, first off, um, your name is spelled and sounds like pop star Rihanna. Do people call you that a lot? Or do they try to stick to Rihanna? It
2: is about 50-50. <laughs> 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 but I'll answer to both.
0: Okay, good to know. Um, I thought today we'd talk a little bit about advocating for the horse. Um, and I know that's pretty much your whole job when, um, these horses come across an injury and we as horse owners and trainers have to not only rehab and take care of them, but really pay attention to what we're asking of them, both as causing injuries and what we're expecting as they return to work in competition. Um, and, uh, you know, we can make this serious or fun. I, I found a clip from a Jerry Seinfeld skit that talks about racehorses and what they would say if they could talk. And I know, I certainly wish my horses could talk, uh, throughout my career with them. Um, and there's a funny, funny blurb about, you know, them running around a track and, we're the ones that are sort of chasing them to the wind and they're going, well, wait a minute, if we just started here, we would win. So, um, that's a, that's a humorous way to say what horses would, would maybe say if they were just focusing on, uh, what it takes to win, you know, and I've had certainly many clients that think that their horses, uh, want to win as much as we do. But I think that sometimes dictates a little more of what's best for them than not. So. Um, anyways, to start with, can you talk about any common injuries you come across, uh, in the disciplines you, you treat and if there's anything that is common across the board or specific to different disciplines, um, and what the time period is and really looking at how to heal that properly.
2: Yeah. So I think the most common injury that we see and hear about in the sport horses across all three sports is suspensory injuries. Um, And then second to that would be injuries within the foot, navicular type injuries, bone bruises, things like that. Those are the things we see most commonly. And for me, sort of the way that I like to approach that is trying to find a rehab plan And a treatment plan that aligns with what's best for the horse, what the rider's expectations are, and then being realistic about their budget. And that allows us to advocate for the horses in the best way possible. So using a suspensory as an example, like the number one place I would start is localizing the lameness. And that to me is doing diagnostic nerve blocks so that you can definitively say how much of the lameness is coming from different locations. So you may have a horse with a suspensory injury, but 50% of that lameness may be coming from a primary foot or origin lameness. So that's a tool that most practitioners have and should be very budget friendly. And then from there, you can go on a long road of diagnostic options to get a more specific diagnosis which allows you a more specific prognosis but may not necessarily affect your treatment plan.
0: So, and not to interrupt that, but can yeah. you start with just just defining for our listeners exactly what a suspensory injury what a suspensory injury is and where it's generally located?
2: Yeah, so the suspensory is a soft tissue apparatus, it's a ligament so it's connecting bones. And it originates at the proximal, so the top of the cannon bone right behind the knee. And then it's a Y-shaped structure. So about midway down the cannon bone, it splits off into your suspensory branches that then attach to your sesamoid bones at the base of the fetlock.
0: Okay. Um, And that's that's pretty common in all three disciplines you said. Um, Is that mostly because of the... You know, the impact that horses take on, at least in hunter-jumpers and eventing and jumping, or is that mostly because of, you know, the intensity of work? What what usually causes a suspensory injury?
2: Yeah, so the, the, it's an injury that can happen in the front and hind legs, and we see a little bit of distribution difference between the sports, whether we see it more in front and more behind. And I find that they generally in front happen for two reasons. One would be uh, an acute injury where they maybe take a bad step and pull on that, and then the second would be a more chronic onset where they're overloading that structure to try to offload weight from their heels.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then behind, and- it's 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 more just a, a structure of the mechanics. And then can be more common in horses that are straight through their hocks, but um, it's, it's sort of, they're a little bit different structures in front and behind, but kind of see the same pattern and the treatment plans are very similar.
0: And what is a general treatment plan that is pretty budget-friendly as well as um, what kind of time period are we looking at with that kind of injury?
2: Yeah, so there there's really not many injuries in my opinion that an appropriate amount of time won't heal. Okay. So if your budget is very small, your best plan is going to be to give the horse an appropriate amount of time resting and that does not mean stall rest. That's determined in a, a rehab program because fitness, correction of the way that they're using their body, even when it's just tack walking, can go a long way. And so that that's actually the core of the treatment plan, no matter what your budget is, is trying to get the horse more correct in its body and going back to basics with starting at the walk, that the horse is walking straight, correct, balanced, and then over time, you, you can start increasing that work but that really is the core rehab protocol and then there's a, a huge array of treatments that we can do to both speed that process up a little bit and improve the quality of healing so that you're less likely to have a re-injury and examples of that would be shockwave therapy, injections with biologics like PRP, prostride, stem cells and then uh, in addition there's some some other things that we can do like class 4 laser treatments and then there are some horses particularly with hind suspensories that will need to have a surgical treatment to allow that suspensory to heal so that's a little bit of a different situation than in front but that's sort of going to be your process for all of the suspensory injuries
0: and is it Accurate to say that the more treatment treatments you apply, the faster the recovery is, or does time really have a fixed uh, portion of this? You know, and the treatments can can help it, but perhaps not speed it up.
2: Yeah, I would say that you're you're more likely to say that the time is is fixed. Like you can speed it up to some extent. But your expectation should be set that it's not changing the time frame. And if it does and you're pleasantly surprised, that's great. Like the treatments are important, especially for horses doing high levels of the sport. Like you're, you're going to get a better quality healing process by those treatments. But if you expect it to go faster, you're more likely to be disappointed no matter what treatments you're doing.
0: Right. Um, And that's kind of what I wanted to get into uh, today is how do you manage the human expectation portion of this? You know, when we have these competition uh, timelines that don't always align with the healing timeline. Um, And again, you know, these horses aren't talking to us. We have to go by how they look under tack as far as soundness wise, under the imaging processes. you know what do you what do you say to an owner who says, "Well, I'd really like my horse to be ready for x competition in three months, and you're recommending you know four to six months of of rest and treatment and rehab,
2: yeah. I really try to manage their expectations in a way that advocates for the horse but also takes their goals into consideration and If you want to try to get to that competition at the three-month mark, I'm not going to tell you that it's unrealistic. It is going to require more effort, more treatment, more budget. And I don't want you to think that that's a promise. So we can shoot for that goal. And a lot of times we can achieve it. But everyone has to be on the same page that that goal may have to be a shifting goalpost that this is in a perfect world. If everything goes right, we can be at that horse show in three months. But if the horse needs six months, everybody has to be on the same page that the horse needs that time. Right. Right.
0: And do you find that you run into, as you continue to keep an eye on the injury and how it's healing um and let's let's just assume that this is a horse that's has that you have access to you know on a every other week basis or however often you might come and see it um you know how often do you run into setbacks because of people who are trying to push that horse too fast and certainly i'm not saying all owners do this Um there are tons of owners who love to take as much time as possible and in fact understand that usually the slow way is the fast way and give their horse as much time as you can. Um, but again, in the yeah. spirit of advocating for the horse, you know, is that, are there things that owners can do that can, you know, seem to them like they're helping, but really they're they're actually pushing that injury back further by by rushing it?
2: Yeah. And certainly sometimes, you know, we, even as veterinarians think the horse is ready to do more mm-hmm. and we have a setback despite everyone being on the same page. But the thing that I really try to emphasize to the owners, particularly with soft tissue injuries, is that a re-injury is likely going to be worse than your initial injury. And so if you take one step forward too fast, you're likely going to take two steps back. And that, Mm -hmm. I think, is a good way to get everyone on the same page of being patient because right. you know if, if if we go from a 6 month to then a, a 9 month rehab that's a that's a big difference
0: sure right that's a whole season there yeah yeah i um i remember you know probably being a little too eager to help my clients versus my horses earlier in my career i would be very optimistic and probably thinking we should push a little bit faster than um than we should have uh on some of the horses that I've had in training that might have had an injury or two until I got hurt myself and I tore my ACL and had um what sounded like a you know a lifetime of six months, which turned out to be a blip (laughs) on the screen and was highly appreciated later. Um but, you know, I in my own Rehab. I th- remember thinking, I can if I do this a little bit better, or you know, a few more reps today, I can get stronger faster. And I did have a great rehab, um, PT guy who just laughed at me and said, "You you can't force injuries to work harder than you, and or you can't work harder than an injury can. Um, so you better give yourself the time and let it heal. And you better think about why you need the time because this is this is more important than anything else. Or you are going to reinjure it." And I didn't understand horse injuries well enough until I went through it myself. And then also realized, you know, coming back, there's not just the you get to that six month mark and then everything's fine again. It is the reintroduction of um, training and and jumping and impact and whatever else you need your horse to do. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that process and once the injury is healed how how what's best for the horse to then get back into not just fitness shape but real strength shape um or or strengthen endurance and how well they can actually hold up to prevent re-injury
2: yeah and that goes back a little bit to what i was talking about earlier with the fitness and the importance of really utilizing that rehab time because I try to show my clients that there's a little bit of a silver lining in these injuries and that particularly with older horses that have maybe learned to go in a way that wasn't quite correct but worked for them, then a lot of times during that rehab process, you're correcting muscle memory and an irregularity that then you come back with a, a much better horse that's actually maybe has more scope or is doing Mm -hmm. the dressage movements more correct or is just easier to ride because you've gone back to the basics with them. And so that gives you something to look forward to, right? That you might actually have an improved horse, but also reinforces to the clients that it is very important to be diligent in the horse's fitness not only for their recovery, but for their prevention. So we've sort of moved towards really trying to look at these horses in the same way as we're looking at human athletes with having a physical therapy component to it, which the best way that we can achieve that is, is riding them because that's the time that we have the most control over their body
0: and can teach them. And so you're saying it's sort of like a retraining or resetting in some ways. Um, And I think that's a huge benefit for especially when you get a horse that's, you know, very one sided or maybe maybe this has been a weakness of theirs for their whole life. And that's why they were prone to to injuring it in the first place. Um, So that's a really good thing to keep in mind. What can owners do who don't have access to a vet as often as um, maybe your clients in Wellington do? Let's say they injure, they have an injury, they have a vet come out for the initial evaluation and um, and treatment, and then they don't see them for the next three to four months. What, what can they do at home to really make sure that they're keeping their horse on track?
2: Yeah, I try to give them some tools when we do the initial exam and diagnosis. When I know they're in a situation like that, where they can assess it themselves, whether it's learning to feel what the suspensory feels like on, for example, on the normal leg versus the affected mm-hmm. leg, so it's it's sensitive on one leg or it's bigger on one leg, and so that they get used to feeling the structure and are able to identify it, and so that gives them a, a hands-on marker, and then provided the horse is not so lame that it cannot be comfortably ridden to some extent. I do try to do my diagnostics with the rider on because that gives Mm -hmm. them a feeling of this is what the horse feels like with the injury. And then this is what it feels like with that injury numbed. And so
0: right when you block it, meaning, yeah.
2: Yeah, they can kind of get a feeling of the block and, and not the block. And so they have a comparison. And then there's also some some really good tricks that we can do to help them feel the, feel the lameness. So I try to educate them and give them a tool. And one of those things, for example, if it's a hind suspensory, often the only time a rider can feel it is if the horse's hind leg is on the outside of the circle, the injured leg and they post on the incorrect diagonal, they'll feel a big difference. So that kind of gives them a monitoring once they're in the trotting phase of the rehab. And then also now with technology, we're super lucky in that it's so easy for you to take a video and send it to your veterinarian. If you have a question, you can take a video of the horse either jogging or you riding it or it lunging and send that to your veterinarian. And get a consult via video to know that you're on the right track.
0: Well, I know if my horses could talk that most of them, when I walked in the barn, would probably sigh, roll their eyes and say, oh, not this girl again. Um, so I'm hoping that they have more in their heads than that. But I know that that would come out of their mouth. I... Um, I I wish that we could have, you know, access to vets every day that could come to the Mm -hmm. barn. That's certainly a little more of a a high expense way of treating them. But, um, I know some of our listeners have horses at home and that's can be a real tough thing to work on, um, and making sure that they stay on track. So that's really helpful. Um, last question. And again, trying to, to advocate for the horses. If you could. Let horses talk. Um, what's one thing you wish they would say to you in in this process, or in your job, or even not in your job, but just what you what you wish you could hear from them?
2: I think it, it, in the realm of an injury, the most important thing that I would like to hear from them is is when it happened, because yeah, the way that I approach a chronic injury versus an acute injury is so different and it's it's really a guessing game because Mm. we're getting history from the rider and the trainer but you know if you could say like oh I felt great until I jumped number six in this round like it it would be hugely
0: helpful make a big difference (laughs) How do yeah. you de- how do you determine? I know you said it's a guessing game, but how can you determine if it's a chronic or acute injury? And I know that, you know, a little cleaner is probably of an injury on an image is is more acute, is that right? Yeah, the
2: the imaging can give us a little bit of information. If it's a horse that I've taken care of over the years, I can say like, oh, okay, this probably has actually been an underlying issue that we weren't aware of. You know that it, it's a cor- a weak corner, for example, on you know a horse where maybe we've been treating the foot a lot, and then now it has a suspensory, um, or a lot of times if it's coming out of a round, I can watch the video, and if I watch the video a few times, and you start looking at it, maybe the the shape of the jump changed midway mm-hmm. through the round or something like that. So you, you really just try to take all the clues you can get from the rider the the physical exam and your imaging and and try to make your best guess at that
0: right i like the watching the round or um the where you think it happened i don't think i've done that with a vet before and uh as a rider it's there are some moments where i can tell on course oh that's where we really took a funny step but Maybe it's been started, you know, days before then. And that's, that's tough to know too, especially when, especially when here's a whole nother topic is as riders, how can we really be in tune with how our horses are feeling physically? Again, if they could talk, this would help us. But, (laughs) you know, some days they come out and they're feeling a little creaky or feeling a little, what we think is just lazy. And we sort of go, come on, just get going and let's, let's jump right into what we're doing. And, maybe sometimes those are in smaller injuries or little tears that are starting that we need to pay more attention to. Um, uh, just to, to wrap us up, can you talk a little bit about that? Do you come across if there's what ways we as riders can, um, focus on, on what our how our horses are feeling on a day-to-day basis when we don't think they're injured?
2: Yeah, so particularly with the upper-level horses that are being ridden by the same person day after day after day, and they they have to really be at their their peak physical ability, one thing that I tell riders to do, and this is also something that you can do if you're riding your own horse at home, is sort of keep a journal Mm. where... sometimes I'll tell the riders even just write a smiley face on a day that they felt great and like a straight line or a sad face, you know, just, you don't have to be super detailed, but just looking to see if there's patterns, like maybe every Tuesday your horse is spooky, but like maybe some, you know, and that, so you see that pattern and you start realizing it's on Tuesdays, but then maybe something all of the sudden starts happening more or it changes or like, Oh, in my lesson today, he started drifting left, and then he started, you know, then we tried to fix it, and then he did it again the next lesson. So, Mm -hmm. noticing those patterns and not trying to read too much into one day at a time, because just like us, they have a day where they maybe, you know, played too hard in the paddock or slept funny or whatever. You have to give them some leeway. But when you start looking at patterns, then you can really start preventing injuries from happening before it it snowballs into something like that because you you can either change the way that you're riding them to help them be more correct or have your vet out to see if there's something going on
0: Yeah. I like that. I like the smiley face journal. I should really start doing that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) That's a one way to say, well, I think they would be smiling today, or I think they would have a sour face on today. And yeah, exactly. And it it
2: doesn't require too much effort. I don't need you to write me a book every day, but just starting to look for patterns is, is really helpful.
0: Right. Well, and like you said, to advocate for the horse, we have to really, you know, we have to be in tune with them. So, um, one more step to do that always helps. Um, yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That was really fun. Um, thank you. I hope that our listeners um, will g- keep your name as Rihanna in mind uh, as they <laughs> run into you at the horse show. Um, and uh, you're in Wellington now. Is that right? You're there for the winter?
2: Correct. Yeah.
0: Great. Well um stay sane and keep keep your owners listening to your horses to their horses as much as you can.
1: I will do my best. Thank you. Okay. Thanks Rihanna. Talk to you soon. Bye. I really love that Rihanna educates on feel. I know we all know to look for a head bob happening at the walk or the trot to to give us the inkling that you know our horse is is lame or isn't feeling well. But feeling the difference of soundness in the saddle as a tool, I truly think is something we could all practice uh, you know, for free, quite frankly. And, and when something feels off, we can take a video or, or take that, you know, the log and see if there is any kind of pattern here. So many wonderful tips, uh, in this interview. And thank you both, Christy and Rihanna for adv- advocating for our equine partners who, despite advances in AI, still can't tell us what they think. <laughs> Before we learn about distances and how we can see them better, we have one more holiday message.
0: As the holiday season approaches, horse owners know that nothing puts a damper on the festivities like a horse suffering from ulcers. Finding an over-the-counter supplement that's both effective and safe can be a challenge, but this year, Reline GI by Haggard is here to spread some holiday cheer. This innovative polysaccharide blend combines high-weight hyaluronic acid, which is a natural lubricant found in the body, with immune-boosting beta-glucan to provide your equine companion with the support they need to thrive. Backed by a study conducted by renowned vets at Haggard, Reline GI has been shown to effectively treat gastric ulcers in horses, with 90% of horses experiencing complete resolution or improvement in ulcerative areas increased appetite, weight gain, and positive behavioral changes. I'm going to add a personal note here. That horse that I spoke about in episode one or podcast one has started on this supplement, and I have video proof of her improvement in her behavior. She is so much happier going forward. Her owner says she's eating better. So... This is my, I'm not even the one that purchased the product, but I am riding the horse that's uh, benefiting from it. So I can definitely say that on this horse, it has some positive effect. Don't let ulcers put a grinch in your horse's holiday. Visit www.resolvevet.com to learn more about Reline GI and read the study conducted by Dr. Slovis. Don't forget to use code SJP at checkout to slay your savings with 10% off your order. Make this holiday season one your horse will never forget with Reline GI. This week's exercise that you can use at home on your horse is borrowed from an article written by Jeff Teal called See Your Distance. And it is published on PracticalHorsemanMag.com. Um, that was published on October 10th of this year. And uh, Jeff is a good friend of mine and has actually given me this lesson in person as well. So I loved how it was written out um, and it reminded me of the lesson he was uh, I was lucky enough to get from him years ago. And this is just practice on working through basics that help you see your distances. Last two episodes, we talked about pace and track Um, And this is just getting a little more specific on a full course and without jumps to begin with. So we'll start with, as you're at home and doing the setup, setting up a whole course of jumps basics, a hunter course specifically would just be side diagonal, side diagonal of standards only. So you're not going to use any poles or boxes. You're just going to set an outside line. A diagonal line, another outside line, and another diagonal line. And you can walk off the distances or measure with a tape measure for five strides in each of those lines. Five is just an easy number that if your ring accommodates that space, um, you can set that at 72 feet or walk off the distances on foot. Uh, Do make sure your standards are set in very straight lines so you can emphasize how straight your horse is going. So the first step after you've set your course is to trot and then canter through the whole course at the same speed. So the trotting is really just for the track. You're going to, same as we've done the other um, track exercise, slowly introduce to yourself and your horse where you'd like to go and be very specific and diligent about where you're putting your horse. So It sounds very simple, but you'd really need to make sure that you're in exactly the center of the standards. You are trotting in a dead straight line through each of the lines and using all of your space at the end of each at the end of the ring, at the end of each line into your corner. Um, Jeff's exercise has you sticking to the exact same pace throughout the course, which is a perfect way to start, especially when you have no distances to worry about whatsoever. You can do simple or flying changes at the canter. Uh, a good starter is to do simple changes just because it helps regroup your horse. But the idea of keeping the same pace, you would like to use flying changes. So work on exactly where your horse is going making sure your eyes are looking ahead to the next line and the next turn and try not to slow down or speed up for one minute. Try to keep literally the same pace around the whole track. Um, You're removing the issue of timing. So you really can focus in on your track and pace. Again, two things that we worked on in the last two episodes. And If you'd like, the next step in doing this after you can perfect the exact same pace around the course is to add in that seven, eight, or nine mile an hour speedometer uh, that was in the first episode. So That would mean cantering up through the line at eight miles an hour, land, recover, slow down to seven miles an hour through your first part of your turn, and then at the 12 o'clock mark in the end of the ring, which is where you had a standard placed in that first exercise, gear back up to eight miles an hour and work on just flip-flopping between eight and seven. Um when you'd like to add nine miles an hour for some practice and moving up out of the turn, that's really helpful as well. But Adding in your mental speedometer of pace through this track of standards can help you really dictate when you ask your horse to go forward, when you ask your horse to slow down, and how accurate you can keep that pace as you go through each group of standards in line. Um, so that would be your first setup. Your second is to focus on one line of five strides and in the middle of the first pair of standards, build a chute by placing two ground poles parallel to one another and to your track. Space them out about nine feet apart and do the same for the second set of standards. So this time you're giving yourself a chute that you would have to canter through And that really makes you focus on as straight as being as straight as possible. And again, that sounds very simple, but it's really easy. Most horses jump into a line and tend to fade out or in left or right. And that changes the distance of the line that you're cantering on, which can really affect how the five strides will ride and how the out jump feels. So this is really working on making sure your horse is very straight And what I would do is canter through the first set of poles and don't try to be as straight as you can to the second set, but let your horse do what it might do naturally and notice which direction they go first. You might already be aware of, you know, a pretty strict left or right drift, but you know, if you can sort of, leave your horse to their own devices for a moment and see if they even move over a foot or a few inches that that can add up as the course goes on so then repeat and go back to that line working on how straight you are between each set of poles make sure you do this off both leads your horse usually will be different one lead to another so you'd like to make sure that coming through the turn off the left lead and staying straight feels the same as it does coming through the turn off the right lead Once you've established how straight your horse can go and how you can maintain your pace or change your pace exactly when you want to, you're going to build a single fence. Um, This can be separate from the lines that you've just set. So maybe this first part of of your setup will just be for one ride. And then before you start on a second ride, add a single jump. And you want to be jumping this on a circle. The jump should not be higher than three feet. Let's say two to three feet tall um, as a vertical. And in an area large enough to incorporate uh, 36 to 40 feet uh, in diameter circle. And you want ground lines on each side of the jump. And this exercise is just a matter of repetition. So you're cantering over the jump on a circle several times, and you're working to to stay straight on the track, meaning straight on your circle. So the jump is jumped and then continued on the turn, but you're not drifting off your line right or left. You're not letting your horse cut in or letting your horse fall out. Um, You're using your eyes to make sure that you're looking across the circle as you approach the jump, as well as in the air to make sure you know where you're going on the landing. This should also be done at a consistent pace. Do it exactly out of stride, and try to do as few adjustments to the jump as you can to start. Usually, when horses can maintain a, the same pace, they generally can jump the jump out of stride. or and when I say out of stride, it just means without changing that stride too much. Um, don't worry too terribly much if it's a little deep or a little long. Just try to work on a consistent pace. Once you've done that, again, in both directions, which will be generally very different side to side, then you can add in that pace speedometer that we worked on in the first episode that allows you to land and slow down to perhaps seven miles an hour. And then at the opposite side of the circle as the jump, increase back to eight miles an hour. So it just gives you the feeling of slowing down into the turn, coming forward out of the turn. Again, this is about repetition. Continue doing this until you feel like the distance isn't something you have to create and it's just something that comes up. After you've really felt that you've mastered that circle, you can go back to the five stride line and use them as jumps. I still like to put a shoot of rails on each side of the jump. So now instead of two poles that you'd have right where the standards are, you'd have two poles on the approach of the jump and then two poles on the landing, nine feet apart and about nine feet from the jump itself. So now you're adding four poles to each jump, the jump into the line and the jump out of the line. Again, make sure you have ground poles as well and focus on how straight you are coming out of the corner, how straight you are down the line and how straight you are on the landing. Again, because you have the guide rails on the landing of the jump of the out of the line, that's going to force you to stay straight. So many horses and riders land from the jump, and maybe they've jumped the center, but then they immediately cut in because the corner of the ring is coming up. And knowing exactly how straight you need to go with those guide poles can be helpful. You'll have already done this track without the jumps at all, so this should feel familiar. And you're adding in the jump off the turn to the f- into the line just as you were on the circle. You may have a little more room to approach, but it's exactly the same idea. Again, Work on this on both leads. Make sure that you can maintain the same pace through it. If you come in on eight miles an hour, that 72-foot line will lead you out generally in five strides just fine on most normal strided horses. Um, Keep repeating and making small adjustments. This might not feel perfect the first time. So did you come out of the corner and have too much pace and get down the line too early? Make that adjustment. Find that eight miles an hour. Get back to that medium to work in canter to come in and come out at the same pace. Um, Jeff's article adds a triple combination as the last part of the exercise, which he notes is only for advanced riders. And all that means is you're just changing the line from five into a set of three jumps uh, verticals or oxers. Um, and I love doing that for the horse, but for just working on exactly what distance you want, five-strided line is 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 a perfectly acceptable exercise that you can get a lot out of if you keep working on how much pace there is. Um, you can definitely reference Jeff's article on, again, practicalhorsemanmag.com. This is a really fun way to get your horse to be as straight as they can and work on how consistent their pace can be without worrying about finding every distance um, around a course. We jump so many courses in our lessons that taking away the element of the jump itself can really put you back to basics and get you confident enough to feel like if the jump comes up, you're already aware of where you need to be.
1: And coming up on December 13th is the holiday you never knew we needed, the National Day of the Horse. In 2004, Congress designated December 13th as the National Day of the Horse. And I, for one, wish they would have picked maybe a warmer day, but either way, Mm -hmm. we've celebrated it every year since. This day was established to encourage citizens to be mindful of the contribution of horses to the economy History and the character of the United States. Horses have been inextricably linked to US history and culture since its beginnings, as said by AHC President Julie Broadway, who you can also hear monthly on Horses in the Morning. They've contributed greatly to the advancement of our society from tilling the fields to growing crops for early settlers, rounding up livestock on ranches, and contributing over 9.2 billion with a B to to the US economy. And I know that at least half of that comes from our listeners' horse shopping and saddle shopping. So, way to go mm-hmm. to help the economy, guys. Give your pal an extra carrot or two to celebrate the National Day of the Horse on December 13th. Be sure to like, subscribe, and tell your friends about the Show Jumping Podcast. You can find videos and
0: photos of our exercises on our Facebook group called Overheard on the Show Jumping Podcast, linked in our show notes, where you'll also find links to the Practical Horseman article covering Jeff Teal's distance exercise. Ride safe, everyone.